Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Greetings, I'm Dr. Rob Hartzler from TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have the honor of hearing from Dr. Anthony Romeo, Chief of Orthopedics at Rothman Orthopedics New York Division, a man who truly needs no introduction. Dr. Romeo, welcome to the podcast. Rob, thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, calling in from New York City, and I'm uh, happy to be part of this program. Excellent. Today, we're going to be discussing your article from the March 2018 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal entitled, Incidents and Changing Trends of Shoulder Stabilization in the United States, which will give us a chance to take a broad look at where we've come and where we're going in shoulder instability surgery. Dr. Nelson gave the commentary on your article. There was some thought that the increase in the incidence of shoulder stabilization surgery might have to do with a higher rate of treating first-time dislocators with surgery. Was that your sense of the the increase of the incidence of surgery? No, not at all. I I think maybe there's a little bit of that, but I don't think that's what's really shifted uh, the numbers. I think there's a, there are a number of factors. Number one, a better recognition of the problem and how to solve the problem, even those that don't completely dislocate. Number two, the ability for many surgeons to do excellent arthroscopic surgery. So there's a sense that the restraint to going on to a surgical procedure is lower because we have a minimally invasive tool, the arthroscope, to perform this procedure, minimizing the risk, minimizing the damage to the surrounding tissues. Number three is the activity level of the people that we have now, particularly with overhead sports, the size of the athletes, the power of the athletes. I think that plays a role. And then the last thing is really just the community awareness of the fact that, you know, boy, my shoulder comes out of place. I can get this fixed and I can get back. 20 years ago, it wasn't uncommon for people to come to you and you say, I can fix it. And they're like, you know, doc, I'm just not sure if I want to do that because if it doesn't go well, then my shoulder may be worse than it was before we started. So I, you know, I'll come back if I need to. Tony, take us back to anterior instability surgery in the mid-1990s. Well, when I finished my fellowship in 1993, uh, the vast majority of shoulder stabilization surgery was still being done through an open approach. There were some modern pioneers, so Eugene Wolfe, uh, Dick Kaspari, uh, Steve Snyder, and uh, a a number of others who were uh, using devices to try to sew down or fix the capsule. We shouldn't forget Lanny Johnson, too, had a special type of metal uh, screw and anchor to fix things into place uh, that seemed to work pretty well. So we were just going through the transition from open to all arthroscopic techniques, and it was a very exciting time to think that we could do these operations without having to make a big incision, and we might be able to get the athletes as well as other active people back at a much faster time. We weren't even thinking about other confusing things that we have to deal with now, like bone loss. It was all about just fixing the soft tissues. Do you think we've lost anything from the era of open instability surgery? Do you, is there, are there things we've left behind that we need to remember or that um, trainees uh, need to be taught that are being neglected now? Well, there's, there's a number of us who have evolved through the open to the arthroscopic and myself uh, included and tried very, very hard to make sure that I followed all the principles that I learned from Dr. Matson, the open surgery, Dr. Neer, and then replicate that with our all arthroscopic procedures. The truth is, is that we're very close 
uh, but there are certain situations where we may not be quite as good, such as revision surgery or when there's a small amount of bone loss and some soft tissue damage. But we're very, very close to the point that, that typically those are all done arthroscopically. The challenge is, is that now very few of the people that are training, the medical students, the residents, and the fellows, are seeing open surgery and for, in, for instability. And so the problem is when you get that case that really would benefit from it, uh, the experience is relatively low. And that kind of adds to this overall mystique uh, that, you know, we can fix everything arthroscopically. Um, you're going to feel more like that, especially if you're very uncomfortable with doing open stabilization procedures, even when that's clearly indicated by the evidence that we have available today. So I do think there's something lost in not being able to do the open surgeries. I think it's something that we should practice and be, and have available as part of our armamentarium uh, for our more challenging cases and those cases with bone loss to ensure that we can treat our patients with the most effective management. What were you doing in your practice uh, at that time if there was significant bone loss? What operation were you doing? Well, the operation that we did for without bone loss, I learned from Dr. John Brems at the Cleveland Clinic, who was one of the disciples of Charlie Neer, and it was a form of the inferior capsular shift. And then I went out to University of Washington, Seattle, and Dr. Rick Matson uh, taught me how to do the open anterior capsule label reconstruction, which was uh, really the, the uh, uh, best procedure that I used in the early part of, of my practice. And in fact, a big part of what happened with the arthroscopic surgery was the goal was to try to take these successful uh, arthroscopic operations, excuse me, open operations, and make them arthroscopic with the tools that we had and that were being made and available. When we had bone loss, essentially it was all open surgery. And if there was a big enough bone loss on the glenoid side, uh, there were a couple of different techniques. At that time, there was a ladder J or Bristow procedure in the United States, the Bristow, just taking the tip of the coracoid and using that to sort of help out with the bone loss in the glenoid was the key procedure. Do you think we're underutilizing ladder J here in the United States? So we, we did a recent uh, review of that using large uh, databases from some of the insurance companies, and we found out that about 94% of all shoulder stabilization surgeries in the United States are done with a soft tissue repair, about 88% done arthroscopically, and the other 6% done with an open soft tissue repair. In many parts of the world, that is far higher than what uh, other countries are doing. So there are some countries, such as France, where close to 50% of all stabilizations are done uh, with a transfer of the core cord and bony procedure, and that number seems to actually be creeping up. And so Europe has definitely made a major transition. And other places like Australia, South Africa, where the sport of rugby or, or their special football rules uh, seem to have much higher incidence of bone loss, the latter day has really made a significant impact. So I would have to believe that we are still not carefully selecting our patients um, in a way that, that we should with regards to bone loss. I believe there's probably at least another 10 to 20% of patients that most likely would be better off in the long run with a bony procedure. The concern always is that the procedure may have higher risks, but if you do an arthroscopic stabilization and you have a 20% or higher failure rate, which some people report with significant bone loss, uh, then maybe the best thing to do would be to learn how to do the bony procedure really well and keep those numbers well under 5%. If we move toward more bony procedures, do you think 
there's also going to, going to be a move as there is in Europe towards arthroscopic versions, arthroscopic either distal tibia allograft or arthroscopic ladder J here in the United States. I, I really, I think you're absolutely right, Rob. There, there already is. It's just kind of quiet. It seems that many of the thought leaders have kind of sort of have sort of slowed the progress in the United States towards uh, moving towards an all arthroscopic ladder J. I honestly believe that what is going to win the day five years from now is most likely going to be an arthroscopic procedure where we're able to put in a bone into the defect and then repair the labrum and soft tissues over the top. In other words, we won't have to move the coracoid. We won't have to move the short head of the biceps or corporal brachialis. We won't have to worry so much about the axillary nerve because we're going to do everything on the inside. We just have to get this idea of the bone graft into the defect and how we fix that securely and then repair the labrum in the place. That would truly be an anatomic reconstruction. And I think that will be very popular in the United States once we have some of the details worked out. You know, the impetus for writing this paper was to try to understand better uh, where our community in the United States is going, particularly with the tremendous influence of our European colleagues and the use of the coracoid transfer as a significant part of their practice. It was interesting to us to see that there is some movement in the United States, but it remains relatively uh, small compared to uh, Europe in particular. I think that all the thing that we've learned is that uh, we are getting better with our arthroscopic techniques, not only in the experts' hands, but throughout the whole community of orthopedic surgeons. And, and that's a tribute to all the educational programs, um, both in terms of fellowships and others. Uh, that have provided the opportunity for surgeons to practice and learn how to do these types of procedures. And I think that what we're going to see over the next five to 10 years is a more objective way for all of us to determine the, the actual threshold where bone loss is critical to treat with a bone procedure versus a soft tissue procedure. And that's going to drive what I think will be the next major market, and that is using bone substitutes or bone-type uh, implants at the anterior inferior glenoid rim, repairing the rest of the labrum down, doing it all inside to avoid the potential risks that were present in the early learning curve with the arthroscopic ladder J. So this paper kind of helps, gives us a better idea about that. It tells us that the market uh, for those bone procedures remains relatively small. So from an industry perspective, it's not something they're pursuing aggressively in the United States, but I think it will grow nicely over the next five to 10 years as we understand that this is gonna be a better way uh, to treat the patients with bone loss. So it was an insightful paper that kind of set the stage for us now in 2018, and we look forward to seeing what's going on in the future. Again, a hearty thank you to Dr. Anthony Romeo for joining us on the program today. Okay, thanks very much, Rob. I appreciate it. His article from the March 2018 issue of the journal entitled Incidents and Changing Trends of Shoulder Stabilization in the United States can be found on the Arthroscopy Journal's website www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Don't forget to join us next time.